we're doing a series on uh, ethics. We've uh, started a few weeks ago. We looked at the first one was the change in legislation that uh, some parties are trying to bring in, that the same-sex marriage is okay. We looked at about four weeks ago. Then we looked at uh, the issue of homosexuality the week after that. Then we had a break because I was up at uh, Crossroads, up at Wallingpah. And then uh, last week we had a look at the whole issue of euthanasia. I don't know about you, but I'm exhausted uh, going through all them and thinking through all them. You can sometimes think of one topic at a time, but trying to cover four topics at a time, uh, it's pretty exhausting. This week we're going to be touching on a really tough one as well, which is abortion. So there have been really tough areas to think about and to work through. Uh, So I'm going to ask that you help me today as we uh, work through this one together, uh, as we look at what God's Word has to say to us and as we lovingly respond in this issue as well. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Word. We thank you that we can uh, see within it who you are, uh, your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord. And we also see, Lord, uh, your righteousness and what you desire, Lord, is the way that we should live. We pray this morning that as we look at this issue, this area uh, of abortion, Lord, that you'll help us to be uh, loving and caring within it, uh, gracious within it, Lord, and seek you through it, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have we lost that? Oh, has it? Sorry. It's always good when little things go wrong technically, isn't it? Uh, so the way it happens in this place. <laughs> thought I had it all organised, but it's on its way. Um, a few weeks ago, we went to a men's conference up in Ballina, and the speaker there was a guy called David Cook, who is the principal of Sydney Mission Bible College. He's actually about to retire, but uh, he's a, the principal up there. And he uh, told us a story about how he was invited to a meal just recently. And he was invited along to the meal because he was there to actually be a catalyst to ask questions. He was there to be someone who could come along, be part of the meal, but at some point in time he was to come in and ask a question or make a statement that would actually be like a fire starter that would kick off the conversation and and make it happen. Uh, David's probably got big enough shoulders to be able to do that, so that's good. And uh, he he did that, so he went along to this meal, he had uh, sat down, they ate for a little while. It was a mixed bag of people who were there from all different walks of life. And in the middle of it, he asked the question of everyone. He said, so, so what do you think is the most important issue facing Australia today? Good question, isn't it? That's a good one to start off the question. So the people around the table started to mention a number of different things from uh, climate change uh, to economics to youth to education. And David uh, stepped in in the middle of that or near the end of it and he says, well, I actually think the biggest issue in Australia today is abortion because in Australia today there are approximately 90,000 abortions every year. Now, I'm not too sure how the conversation went after that, uh, but I'm pretty sure that it would have uh, sent it in maybe a different direction for a little while uh, because... Uh, We don't often talk about that, do we? We, uh, Since abortion has been legalised in Australia for a number of years now, it's almost gone into the background and that we don't tend to speak about it anymore as though it's just something that happens. But when you actually start to hear the figures about what is happening in Australia, it strikes you, doesn't it? 
Uh, now, there is some debate on exactly what all those figures are and what the actual numbers are. But if we click down to the next one, guys, uh, let's click to the next one. Um, the government statistics aren't that good on it, actually. They don't cover it particularly well. But uh, it is clear that there is somewhere between 60,000 and 90,000 abortions in Australia per year. Now, what that means is that for every one abortion that we have, there are 2.8 live births. Or 2.8 live births, there's one abortion. Or one in every three pregnancies are terminated in Australia. That should grab you. That is a lot. That is huge. And I don't know whether you knew this, but most of the abortions aren't in the 15 to 19-year-old age range, where often we think it's the young people when they've made a mistake or done something like that and they need to do something about it. But it's actually the largest amount of abortions are in the ages between 30 and 34 is where it happens. And so what we're seeing there is it actually becomes now, rather than it's a a situation that's happened and a mistake down there, it's actually a life choice now because something's going to change what's going on in their already planned out life particularly. Now that's not always the case, is it? But, um, But it's a different range, isn't it, to what you may have expected. And so it is a huge issue. It's a huge issue in Australia today and it's actually becoming more and more seen as being part of that. There are a number of organisations springing up around Australia that are actually recognising that since this legalisation happened such a long time ago, there hasn't been much information out there and most Australians don't realise how big it is and how many lives are being terminated in Australia today. And so therefore, when we do find out the figures, there are people who are actually finding that out now and they're saying, well, we need to actually do something about that. Not just Christians, but people in society who are saying that this is a big issue for all of us that we need to think through. Uh, It's not only in Australia, uh, but also it's happened in America as well. I was going to tell you also, not only that too, but also because... Since the whole genetic code has come and been decoded and since DNA has been worked out more and more, it's become more a reality that life starts a lot earlier than what people thought it did. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. So it's happening in Australia, but it's also happening in America. Uh, In America, Hillary Clinton Clinton just recently spoke to over a 1,000 people who were part of the pro-abortion lobby in America when they were celebrating the 32-year anniversary of the Roe versus Wade, the big one that happened in America where abortion was legalised after this. It was a big uh, um, court case that happened over there. And uh, she spoke to them about how this has become an epidemic and that together we need to work through this because it shouldn't be this many. The really interesting thing is the person who was part of that case, who was the trial person uh, to be the one who was actually to have abortion, was a a lady by the name of Norma McCovery. Uh, She's now 57, she's become a Christian and she is now on the pro-life side of things. It's actually changed her mind. And you know that she actually didn't have an abortion. Uh, She actually gave birth to her child and gave her up for adoption. But she was the one who was the test case back in the beginning. That's interesting, isn't it? Because you don't hear that and you don't hear where she is now and that now she sees where it should be and what the situation should be. And so there's discussions out there. Even in Australia today, there are starting to be more discussions about it because I think those statistics are starting to be known. Uh, 
And so I think it's that we should rightly think about it here today. Uh, we're not going to cover every issue uh, and every little angle to it, but hopefully we're going to today be able to see a bit of a biblical overview of what, what uh, the issue is about, how we can see it from God's perspective. Uh, we're going to see it from a loving perspective and hopefully we're going to see how we can do a number of things to be proactive in this, a way forward within this issue. Uh, so just firstly, before we go too much further, let me just put up a definition for you of what abortion is, uh, so we know what we're talking about, uh, and it's induced abortion we're talking about, is the deliberate interruption and cessation of pregnancy with the intention to cause the death of the baby in uterus. There's both uh, surgical and chemical ways that that can be done, and I'm not going to go there. If you want to go there and find out what it is, uh, make sure you have a really strong stomach. Uh, but if you want to find out how it happens, then you can find that out, but you can find that out for yourself. Uh, so that's the definition of how, of how it works. Uh, and before we go any further than that, I want, to, I want to put this out there because I think this is really, really important, uh, and that is that we need to understand grace within this. Um, I, I know people who are who've had an abortion. You probably know people who've had an abortion. You may know uh, there may be even people here in our congregation this morning who've had an abortion. Uh, And I think within that, we need to be really careful, don't we, in that we need to be loving and gracious in how we deal with this. And I hope we do that today. Uh, And I want to say firstly that uh, when it comes to that, that we have a loving and gracious God, that there are times when uh, we have done things wrong. There are times when all of us have done things wrong. And if we have taken that path and gone down that line, then God is a forgiving God. And uh, just a couple of passages for you. 1 John 1 verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Uh, We all do the wrong thing at different times, and God forgives us when we come to him. Uh, God is so gracious to us that he gives us Jesus who nailed to the cross for everything that we've done, whether that's we've had an abortion, whether that's we've lied, whether that's we've done, committed a crime, whether that's we've just gossiped with people down the street. He's graciously taken that upon himself on the cross and we can come before God who is a gracious God. It says Hebrews 4 verse 16, it says, Let us then approach the th- throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think whenever we're talking about this, it's a very emotional thing. We need to always come from that perspective of our loving, gracious God who is there to pull those into his loving arms and hold them dear to them and to restore them and to turn them around and make all of us be transformed into more Jesus-shaped versions of ourselves. That's what he desires for all of us, doesn't he? And we need to remember that within it. Sometimes a lot of the books I've read and that we've gone through things have actually done that right at the end of it. I think we need to put that up front, right from the beginning, before we even think any more about it. Keep that in mind of our loving, gracious Heavenly Father who forgives us and restores us and transforms us. It's a great truth to know, isn't it? So what, is, uh, what can we do? I think one of the things that we want to encourage each other with that as well, isn't it, that uh, God desires us to be in uh, mutual loving relationships and we need to think about how we do that through this as well. Remember right back at the beginning when we did the ethics thing, we looked at two different things. We looked at a unified field of having 
God's creation, uh, Jesus Christ in the middle, future on the outside, God's, uh, his character and God's commands and how we work within that. We looked at the ethical idea of mutual love relationships where we only do and act if it's a loving thing that encourages our love between us and God and our love for one another. And those things need to keep ourselves in mind as we look at this together as well. So let's uh, keep that in mind as well. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to have a read of the Bible. We're going to have a look at a passage. The Bible doesn't specifically, again, speak as it doesn't specifically speak to euthanasia. It doesn't specifically speak to abortion, but it does speak to life and what life is. So let's have a look at uh, Psalm 139. We looked at that earlier this year, actually. It's a great passage of the Bible. Uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time of pulling it apart today, but I want to just take a couple of things out of it that help set our framework for what we're going to do this morning. Uh, so I think Betty's going to read that for us. Is that right? One to eighteen. That's all right. <laughs> oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, Even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Thanks, Betty. It's a great part of the Bible, isn't it? It's a great psalm. Pick up on a couple of little things that I hope will uh, help us think about how we can interact with this issue, how we can uh, lovingly speak with others about it as well. And I think the first thing that we can take out of Psalm 139 is that God is in control, isn't he? That God has it sorted from the very beginning. Oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God is in control. God knows what's going on in our lives. God's involved in what's going on in our lives. Uh, That There is no place that we can go that God isn't there. 
Uh, I can go into the darkness, I can go into the reaches, I can go to wherever. But no, wherever we go, God is there and God has got it sorted. Uh, And God is involved in that. So no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation we're in, God is there. And that God has had that right from the beginning. If you go down to verse uh, 16, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew before we were born when we were going to be born, what was going to happen during our life and when we are going to die. He knows it all. He's got it all sorted right from the beginning. And as we've done in the past, when we've gone back to uh, Genesis in our other series, we've looked back at how God is the one who's created everything and he's got it in control and therefore he has the right to decide when things happen, doesn't he? He has the right to decide when we do live and when we do die. He's the one who has control of all of that. So when it comes to life, then he is the one who has control of that as well. When it comes to the child inside of us, he has control of that as well. And one of the big debates that happens within uh, the whole legalisation of abortion, and this has moved slightly in recent years, but the big debate that happens around it is, is when is life? When is the fetus actually a human being? At what point in time does that happen? And that's been the big debatable point, hasn't it? If you've ever looked through the debate, that's what's been going on. And so there's been a number of times that people would say and a number of different places that people would say life has come to being. And so those that are pro-abortion would say that that is later on in life than earlier. So they would say that conception isn't the case. It has to happen later on down the track. Now, that has changed as well throughout the time. Uh, Originally, it was when when the person has the opportunity for reasoning and thinking was when there was the first debate about that. Now, some people who push that will actually say that uh, babies don't have that until they're between one and two years old. And so, therefore, certain parts of the uh, pro-abortion debate would say that uh, infanticide is okay as well, if you take that line. So that's one extreme of it. Uh, Others have brought that back and they've taken it to a period of time in the gestation period, uh, to when the human form is there, uh, to when they can function outside of the womb at whatever age that may be. Or they've moved it back further to when there's actually looks more like a human. Or they've moved it back even further to when uh, individuation happens. That's a tricky one, isn't it? Individuation. That is when the fetus itself is uh, altogether its own and no longer impacted by something else. Individuation. So there's a very technical time frame that it happens. Some people say that's between 15 and 19 days. Uh, so that's been the debate often is where does life begin? When is this fetus human? Well, I think when you come to the Bible, it's when conception happens. So it says there in verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. That is when it happens. At conception. Now that's what the Bible said from a long time and has always been saying that. But even now science is saying that as well. Since we've been able to work out our genetics, since we've been able to work out our DNA code, since we've been able to look into the molecular and cellular development of, uh, of a fetus, science is actually saying that uh, it is a human from the moment of conception. Because at the moment of conception, as soon as the egg and the sperm join together, immediately that 
fetus or that egg forms a barrier so that no other egg can enter into it. And it immediately starts to join together and cells start to multiply. And so when they use the worm in, in individuation, is that terminology, that happens at conception because that is now one being in and of itself. And from that moment, things just start to multiply and, and go out. And so on the molecular level, on the cellular level, it starts to multiply. On the genetic and the DNA level, everything that is needed for that to grow, for that cell to grow, is all there. It is in one sense complete. The only difference between that and you and I is time. So it's a human. From the moment of conception... It is human. Now, people will still debate that and work on that. But I think if you look at the debates of some of the stuff I've been reading recently, that people have been bringing that date back further and further because of the fact that not only does the Bible say it, but our DNA and our genetic code says that we are humans from the moment those, that egg and that sperm join together, it is all there. Everything is there. We are not just a bundle of cells at that point in time. We're actually human at that point in time. So a Christian understanding is this, is that the fertilised ovum is a human being and an emerging person. Now they're two technical little terms. Um, so a human being, uh, that, that from conception, that is the kind, it is a human being. That's the type of thing it is. It's a kind. It's a human being. Uh, it emerges into a person because we all change over time, don't we? We are emerging persons even now. We change and develop and grow and, and do different things and we become more and more who we are as time goes on. So it is an emerging person from that point in time. That's why we put it like that. And I think the other thing that we need to take into consideration here is, as we've been thinking through this, one of the key things is that God desires all humans to experience that mutual love relationships between himself and them and between the person and others. That he desires that for everyone and every human person. So every, we, that's what we want to see happen. That's what God's desire is. From the moment of conception, for that child to grow up, to experience mutual love relationships between that child and God and that child and other people. And so from a Christian, we believe life starts there. So anything that tampers with and changes that is actually killing a person. It's tough, isn't it? And we've got to think that through. But I think that's what the Bible teaches us. And the wonderful thing is that God loves that human from that moment and has that life planned out for that human. And we want to see that come to fruition all the way through for the whole of their life, for them to know and love God and for them to know and love others as well. So, so how do we as Christians, if, if, we, if we understand that as how it operates, how do we then relate to the world in a society where they actually have legalised abortion? How do we work through that? What can we do? What's a way forward for us to actually be, be proactive in taking what we understand about God and what he's like and then taking that into society and encouraging society down the same path. Well, I think that's been done poorly in many places, hasn't it? And the pro-life lobby has uh, 
in some places, not all places, have taken that to extreme and they've bombed abortion clinics and they've killed doctors and they've done things like that. Uh, I, I think that's just outside the realm of what the Bible's talking about, isn't it? Uh, God is not a God who destroys people that way or wants us to take a life. That's his decision. Uh, he wants us to lovingly work through those things, not agree with that uh, and not agree with the abortion clinics, but we are to lovingly work through that together. So what's a way forward? How can we work through this together? Well, that's what I want to try and spend a little bit of time on this morning. And uh, I've taken some of this from... Uh, there was a group of 15 religious... Uh, Leaders throughout Australia came together a couple of years ago and and they proposed a number of uh, ways forward, a number of ideas that they could put forward to take to society and take to the government. So I'm going to take theirs and I'm going to add some things of my own to it as well. So I've got them under the aim of better all the way through so that we can hopefully remember it. So a way forward. Now what these people thought was the first thing we need to do is we need to have better information. That is, we need to ask our governments and, in a sense, lobby our governments that they actually need to take better information, better statistics, better understanding of what is actually happening on the ground. Because if you don't know that, then you're working with things you don't understand, do we? We could think it's a whole lot more or a whole lot less or a whole lot better than what it really is. So we need to have accurate statistics and accurate information out there so that people know what really is going on on the ground. So that's the first thing we need to find out. And I don't think we're getting that yet. Uh, These guys have put this to the government. I think we can keep putting that to the government as well. The second thing that they put through is that we need to have better counselling. If we are to be people who are being transformed into Jesus-shaped versions of ourselves, then we want to lovingly care for those who are going through these big decisions, don't we? We don't just say, okay, well, abortion's wrong and we're going to cast it out there, put it to the side. No, that is not what we are to be like. We are to be proactive in enabling and helping people to work through that. And one of them is to have better counselling for people. Uh, It's a place where people can come and talk and discuss and work through all the issues around abortion. Not just that this is an option, but this is what's out there. Abortion is part of what could possibly happen legally, but there are all these other options that are available to you as well. And to understand the medical and the physical and the psychological and the spiritual implications of the decisions that you make too. So it needs to be a whole rounded counselling, not just here's this option, blah, blah, blah. It needs to pull it all together. In South Australia, they are doing that. They've actually put money into that. And it's shown that statistically they are having a far better outcome for both mothers and children by having a holistic counselling service for them so that they're making decisions in a better way. Uh, Hillary Clinton in her talk uh, said this when she was speaking to these, the pro-abortionist lobby in America. She said this, There is an opportunity for people of good faith to find common ground in this debate, she said. Her common ground includes preventing unplanned pregnancies, supporting sexual education, including abstinence, counselling and encouraging adoption. This is part of it, isn't it? Having that well-rounded counselling before someone takes that option, even before someone takes the option of having uh, sexual intercourse with somebody as well. I don't know whether it happens too much, but uh, we've tried to encourage in the school here that that, uh, abstinence is an option. I don't think they hear it too often, but, uh, but it is an option we need to have out there. So before someone has an abortion, then we need to have that then, don't we? But if someone has one, does have an abortion, then we have that need that as well, don't we? 
we need to be able to have good counselling for someone who has gone through that. Uh, it, it has been, I would imagine, it would be an agonising decision for most people to do that. And of some of the stuff I've read, some of the stuff that uh, people go through after going through that is more horrendous than what they've gone through beforehand as they think it through. If you want to read a book, there's a book by a lady called Melinda Tankard Reese. Uh, she's not a Christian, but she's written a book about giving sorrow words. That's the name of the book. Uh, and in that, she's taken a whole lot of testimonies from people who have had abortions and how they've felt about it and what they've gone through afterwards and what counselling and help does for them to get through that and to work through that. And if we're going to be Christians, then we need to be able to show that, don't we, that there is healing and that there is forgiveness and that there is a way forward and that there is transformation and that God does work with us and change us. And he lovingly still takes us in, even if we've taken that, made that decision. So we need to think about that, don't we? Uh, the other thing we need to do is better care. Pick that one up. Uh, part of that, obviously, is the counselling side of things. But I think that we need to show better care in our communities. Uh, to see that our communities are places that actually say children are welcome. I don't know whether you've noticed the change in society these days, but uh, children in the Bible were a blessing. Uh, children for many uh, throughout history have always been something that has been uh, taken and welcomed and part of the goodness of God and part of the goodness of society. But in our society now, I think a lot of the time children are actually seen as either appendages or problems or issues. And so we start thinking of them in that way. And, if, and subconsciously that comes out. And when we take statistics like we've heard there, where 90,000 children's lives are taken through abortion through the year, we are saying something symbolically to our children, aren't we? That they aren't a blessing. That they are actually something that is to either be disposed of or they're a choice to either have or not to have. And that works out in our society, in our community. And I think we see that in the way that kids often rebel because I think our society says that we don't really want you here a lot of the time. Or if you are here, then just stay to the side and out of the way for a moment. You know, I want to go to the pub. You're a pain for me because I want to go out and drink or I want to go out to the party. I want to go out to the So stick you to the side. No, you go and walk on the streets. I don't really care about you. I think we have undermined our society by saying children aren't a blessing to us. So as communities, we need to show ways that that isn't the case, that children are welcome, that children are part of our communities, that we want to welcome them into our communities and show that they're part of our communities and encourage them in that and love them in that, that they're not just appendages, that they're not just problems, not just issues, but they're a part of who we are together. I think we need to do that, don't we, uh, throughout our society and the way that we encourage things in our society to show that as well to show that they are a joy and a gift from God. And so therefore we need to provide care and support for children and care and support for those that have gone through the decision of terminating their child as well. But I think also what we need is better churches. We need to be places where if someone's gone through that circumstance or gone through that situation or are going through that choice, that this is a place that they are welcome that this is a place where we will bring them in and we will love them and we will care for them and we will support them through this. A number of the, the stats that they show from America especially is that uh, a lot of the, some of the young people who have 
abortions. Often it's because they feel guilt because it's going to be in their family or their churches and how they're going to treat them. You mean We may not agree with how that child has come about, but that child is still a gift from God, someone that God loves, and so we are to love them. And we are to support the person who's gone through that, aren't we? So we need to be places where we support those who've been through that, places who have chosen that in the past. We need to be places where people are loved and cared for. We only need to be a place that is an oasis for people, not a place of fear. A place where there is no such thing as a single mother. Now, not by, I don't mean by that that someone isn't actually in that circumstance, but where there are people around them who love and draw them in and say, you are part of us, part of our family. It needs to be a place where there are good role models, male role models for the single mum, good mother models for the single dad. We need to be places where we together incorporate and show what it is to be a family together. A place where truth is taught but where grace abounds. That's what we are to be like, isn't it? A place where we encourage people to choose life and that we will walk that journey with you. You're not alone within it. We're going to walk it with you. I think we do that pretty well most of the time, but we've got to do it better too, don't we? Especially trying to get away from the place where this is a... If someone was in that circumstance, in that situation, that they would think this is the last place that they would come. We desire that this is the first place that they would come. Well, there's just a few things for you. Uh, Better information, better counselling, better care, better churches. I think that's a way forward for us anyway within the time frame that we have. Uh, I haven't been able to cover every issue. Uh, We haven't been able to cover ectopic pregnancies. We haven't been able to cover pregnancies due to rape. We haven't been able to cover uh, pregnancy and disabilities. Haven't even talked about the morning after pill or RU486. Uh, Haven't been able to talk about all those things. We just don't have time to do that. We would probably do some of that in our growth groups, uh, but our growth groups aren't meeting this week because we're going on a break. But can I encourage you that maybe we can talk about that together at different times. Uh, Discuss how we think about that. Discuss how we've thought about how God does love and care for and desires, how that works out with all these other different issues that come our way, how we can lovingly care for people who are going through those decisions and making those decisions. I, I think we can actually take the framework that we have and go further with it in our own discussions together. But I think what we can say this morning is that we can say that God is pro-life. He desires that we choose life. He desires that every person, every child, every person has the opportunity to grow up and experience mutual love relationships between God and the child and the person, between others, between the person and each other. That's God's desire for all of us, that we can experience that mutual love relationships. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just take a moment to allow some of that to settle in and to think through that, Lord. Uh, There's so much more that we could think through, so much more we could talk about. But Lord, we pray that uh, by your Spirit, as we look into your Word, that you'll guide us and direct us as we uh, look to be Uh, people who love you and share your love, people who uh, want to incorporate and bring others into that, Lord, and to love them well. 
We do pray for those who we know who have had an abortion, Lord. We pray that they may come to you and seek uh, your forgiveness within that, Lord, and experience your cleansing and your purifying and your transforming grace, Lord. We pray for us as uh, uh, we seek to love those who we know who maybe have had an abortion or who may be thinking about it, who may be contemplating. Lord, help us to reach out with your arms of love, to encourage them to choose life, to encourage them, Lord, to seek, to see that child come to fruition, to know you and to love you and to be able to love others too, Lord. Help us with that, Father. Help us to be a place together, a place that is an oasis for all those that are hurting in our community, all those that need your loving transformation through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.